This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. DNA-modified cells can behave unpredictably in the body, and there's a risk that they could proliferate uncontrolled, cause severe toxicities, and even survive unchecked for months or years. Cartesian uses its platform technology to engineer RNA into cells, making time-controlled changes. The company is developing treatments for cancer, respiratory conditions, and autoimmune diseases such as myasthenia gravis. We spoke to Murat Kaleyolu, president and CEO of Cartesian, about its RNA-engineered cell therapies, how they work, and how the company is pushing the use of cell therapies beyond cancer. Murat, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, We're going to talk about mRNA cell therapy and the potential for this therapeutic approach to treat conditions beyond cancer. I I thought it might be useful, though, to begin with a little background, starting with CAR-T cell therapies as we know them today. This has been an important new area for cancer care. How do these therapies work and and how are they generally made today? Sure, yeah. So uh, CAR-T cells are, in essence, a type of uh, engineered cell therapy uh, whereby uh, T cells are taken either from the the patient or more recently from healthy donors um, and uh, and engineered uh, outside the body ex vivo uh, with a, a code, usually with DNA, that translates uh, a protein that is chimeric. Chimeric in the sense that half of it is outside the cell uh, and binds to uh, its target antigen, uh, often one that is a protein that's expressed by cancer cells. And then the other half uh, is inside the cell that upon the, the outside portion binding, um, helps activate the cell to go and do its job, which is often to to go ahead and kill that cell. So it's a it's a very uh, powerful technology that has shown uh, amazing uh, clinical benefit in an array of different liquid tumors, in particular, less effective in solid tumors to date. Um, and, um, and, uh, in a, you know, an area obviously of, of a lot of activity, uh, just given the clinical benefit to date. I suspect listeners have heard a lot about mRNA these days with the COVID-19 vaccines, but perhaps you can explain what mRNA is and, and what it does. 
Well, in essence, uh, the RNA is the uh, intermediate step between uh, the, the DNA, uh, which is sort of the, the, the genetic code, and the protein, which is the, the, the functional um, uh, part that, that is, uh, makes up uh, you know, what we know as uh, the, the, the machinery of life. Um, and so cells often take the DNA, at, uh, which is in the nucleus, and um, uh, generate a, a template from it, uh, the RNA, as the intermediate step uh, before they make the actual protein. So the DNA to RNA and then the RNA to protein sequence is preserved throughout life and um, and if you want to modify the cell at the DNA level, you're in essence making a permanent change to that cell, such that when that cell uh, divides, the daughter cell um, that's modified at the DNA level will look identical to the parent cell. Um, when you modify the cell at the RNA level, however, um, what you're in essence doing is ensuring that when that cell divides, that the daughter cell has, uh, in essence, about half the amount of protein, cap protein making capability compared to the parent cell. Um, so you're not making an irreversible change with RNA as you are with DNA. You're making a time controlled change by, by introducing RNA instead of DNA. So it's one of the key differences between uh, engineering cells at the DNA level versus the RNA level. Our, Cartesian has a platform technology that you call RNA Armory to engineer cells. What are you able to do with the platform and, and how does it work? Yeah, so the RNA Armory is, is our um, way of, of uh, engineering cells with RNA. It's in essence a cell-based combination therapy platform. So uh, we, in essence, use the cell as both the factory for producing as well as the vehicle for delivering um, a combination of uh, RNA therapeutics right to the site of disease, where these RNA therapeutics can work in, in tandem and can be selected uh, rationally in order to exert synergistic benefits um, towards the, the disease. Um, so it's an opportunity to uh, leverage the capacity of the cell to produce proteins uh, by, by modifying them, programming them at the, at the RNA level outside the body, and then infusing them such that um, these engineered cells are able to find their way to the site of disease and then deliver their cargo uh, over an extended period of time. Well, how do Cartesian's cell therapies differ from what people might normally think of today? Well, the conventional way of doing cell therapy is to engineer the cell at the DNA level. Um, so 98 plus percent of what it, you'll see out there in terms of cell therapy is conventional in the sense that the uh, cells are engineered at the DNA level. And um, as you can surmise from the earlier uh, discussion, you, uh, in essence, are making an irreversible change such that, you know, when you modify the cell outside the body and then introduce it into the body and the, the cell 
encounters this target antigen and begins to proliferate, every daughter cell looks identical to the parent cell. And that creates some problems uh, for uh, the treatment, in particular around toxicity, because you, in essence, lose control over the cell and the cell will begin to proliferate out of control. Often these types of therapies are given at sub-therapeutic doses and are expected to proliferate into a therapeutic window and then stay at the therapeutic window, right? But the cell doesn't know to do that. It'll continue to proliferate um, and often cross a toxicity threshold, um, which is why you get the kinds of toxicities that are synonymous with conventional cell therapies. For example, CAR T-cells, cytokine release syndrome, neurotoxicity, increased risk of infection, long-term risks of transformation or the cell actually becoming a cancerous cell or causing long-term immunogenicity. So and while these risks are acceptable when treating patients with the most advanced cancers, um, often um, they're you know, outside of oncology or even frontline oncology and, and sort of patients with newly diagnosed cancers that have other treatment options or beyond oncology, there really is, uh, these types of toxicities are very limiting and, and have historically prevented cell therapy from extending beyond oncology. So if you do want to go beyond oncology with cell therapy, you have to have a different approach. And our approach is to use RNA instead of DNA, where we make time-controlled changes and confer upon the cell drug-like properties and pharmacokinetics that allow us to be able to control the exposure. And now with that enhanced safety gives us the ability to move into frontline cancers with cell therapy, as well as beyond oncology, in our case, and autoimmune disease and, and respiratory disease. So in, in making the, the case for this type of approach using RNA to engineer cell therapy, mm-hmm. beyond the safety advantages, what would you say the advantages are? Yeah, so there's uh, there's a number of other advantages. So I mean, one that immediately comes to mind is uh, the the cost of manufacturing is significantly less relative to working with DNA. Um, the, the, there's you know indirect cost benefits, of course, if you don't have to manage uh, um, you know these toxicities, you don't have to treat them. That, then that becomes less expensive. You don't have to monitor patients for an extended period of time over. over a decade because of the risk of transformation or, or having these cells turn into a cancer because you're not modifying them at the genetic level. There's other benefits. So um, there's often with conventional DNA-based therapies, you have cargo limits in terms of your uh, the, the, the number of new molecules that you can introduce at the level of the DNA vector. Uh, that, that really doesn't exist when you work with RNA. Um, and, and, and there's a few others. So a combination therapy, the ability to target the, um, and, and of course, first and foremost, uh, the, the safety benefits are, are significant. You have multiple clinical programs in your pipeline targeting indications that include cancer, autoimmune disease, and, and respiratory illness. I take it what these all have in common is that you're using the cell therapy to modulate the immune system. Is is that correct? So, yeah. So we're, uh, we're targeting three disease categories with our clinical programs. Uh, so we have three assets in clinical development, three in preclinical that will likely matriculate into the clinic in the near term. Um, and the disease categories that we're going after are in autoimmune, 
in an oncology, in particular in frontline oncology, and then in, in respiratory diseases. Um, so uh, it, the, the kinds of therapies that, we are, that, that we're developing within these disease categories are um, addressing, each of them addressing a, a fundamental um, key driver in the pathogenesis of each of these diseases. Uh, so from that perspective, yes. So we would we're, we're in essence um, modulating the the immune system and the immune response to the disease. Um, it's hard to make some generalizations, just given the, the different nature of of each of these diseases and, and the, our approach to each of these diseases. But I think at a high level, the way you phrase it is is appropriate. So let's take a deeper dive into the programs. The most advanced programs is DECAR 11, in, which is in development for multiple myeloma. What is multiple myeloma? Multiple myeloma is a, a, a disease of the a particular type of cell called the, the plasma cell, which is uh, resides in the bone marrow. So you can think of it as a disease of the bone marrow. Um, these types of cells, the, the plasma cells, um, in, are essential cells that uh, are producing uh, the antibodies that fight infection. And uh, when in, in the case of multiple myeloma, um, the, some fraction of these cells undergo a mutation or a series of mutations that uh, transforms them into cancerous cells. Um, as these cells uh, proliferate in the bone marrow, they uh, occupy space within the bone marrow that is essential for um, nor- the normal functioning of the bone marrow. And often, you know, the kinds of the manifestations uh, clinically, the disease manifests itself clinically as a, a reduction in that kind of space and, and within the bone marrow. So as you crowd out the other essential cells in the bone marrow, you get uh, the kind of clinical manifestations of this disease. So you get, um, you know, uh, you know uh, uh, bone uh, fractures. Uh, you get um, the inability to, to generate uh, new blood cells and you get anemia um, and you get... Um, um, calcemia, hypercalcemia, and uh, all sorts of other sort of uh, manifestations of this disease that really ultimately begin and end at the at the level of of the bone marrow. So it's really a disease of the plasma cells and of the bone marrow. There are a, a number of treatment options available today for multiple myeloma. What's the prognosis for patients with the condition? Well, the historical data, which is outdated now, is, uh, usually uh, speaks to about 50% of patients um, being, you know, surviving for about five years. But with the advent of the new uh, immunomodulatory therapies, uh, it, you know, that those data are outdated and, and patients are living longer and longer. Um, uh, and, and the, the one exception I think is a, a fraction of patients that, uh, have what is called a high risk multiple myeloma. They have high risk genetic characteristics. Uh, this fraction of patients co- comprises about 15% of the population. And, um, 
and and the kinds of treatment advances with the other 85% of the population of patients with myeloma just haven't been seen in, in this, this group to the same extent. Um, it is an area that we're very interested in. Um, and our frontline uh, myeloma program is actually targeting this group of patients uh, to, um, to clear up any potential residual disease that is left after these patients have undergone their initial, what's called induction therapy. What exactly is DECAR-11 and how is it prepared and delivered? So DECAR-11 is an autologous or personalized uh, CAR-T therapy that targets an antigen called B-cell maturation antigen, BCMA. It's uh, it's one of the key antigens or key proteins that uh, can be targeted effectively in myeloma. Uh, it's a relatively recently identified such protein, um, and it is, it's just a terrific protein to target because it's expressed uh, exclusively in plasma cells, um, which is, you'll remember, the, uh, the, the type of cell that myeloma is derived from um, and really not expressed anywhere else uh, to any meaningful extent uh, outside of the plasma cell population. So it's a great protein to target because if you can uh, eliminate uh, cells that have a high level of expression of B-cell maturation antigen as these uh, myelomatous cancerous cells do, then you're in essence uh, uh, killing in a very targeted way the myeloma cell population. So, you know, our approach is, is to do this with um, with our CAR T cells. These are um, uh, these are engineered with RNA instead of DNA. And given the fact that they're engineered with RNA, the, you know, the hope, the expectation, and now the kind of data we're seeing certainly shows that they're quite, uh, quite safe to be able to do that. So we don't see the kind of cytokine release syndrome and neurotoxicity or increased risk of infection, et cetera. In fact, we don't really see any product-related uh, adverse events that, that you would normally expect with the kinds of uh, therapies that the, 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 the standard uh, CAR Ts that are modified with at the DNA level in a conventional manner. The other benefit of this type of approach, our approach is that we don't need to use a different type of therapy to sort of create space for the cells to proliferate into. Uh, so the you'll recall that the conventional um, CAR Ts, the conventionally engineered DNA engineered CAR Ts, are often uh, administered uh, alongside with what's called lymphodepletion, lymphodepletive chemotherapy. This is toxic therapy that is designed to uh, eliminate a lot of healthy cells that could block the potential proliferation of your CAR T product. Um, but if you're administering larger numbers of cells, as we are, um, and doing it repetitively, um, you don't really need this lymphodepletive therapy. And so our, our study is that's currently enrolling is not using a, any lymphodepletive chemotherapy, which is another uh, safety feature of this type of approach, which is so important in a frontline setting, right? It, it, you know, you, you, you want to minimize the, the amount of toxicity when you're trying to clear residual disease in patients who were only recently diagnosed. What's known about the therapy from studies done to date? So the studies to date have um, completed a, uh, a a number of safety uh, studies in patients with more advanced cancer and found to be 
sufficiently safe to be able to justify their use in a in a clinical trial in the in the context of a frontline or a frontline setting in patients with high risk newly diagnosed multiple myeloma. And so that study is currently enrolling. You have a second therapy in development, DECAR08, which is for the rare autoimmune condition, generalized myasthenia gravis. What is that condition and, and how is it treated today? So myasthenia is, is a classic autoimmune disease in that a uh, an antibody produced by, again, a plasma cell um, ends up attacking the body itself um, in, in a way that is deleterious to, to health. So uh, as with most uh, autoantibody-driven autoimmune diseases, uh, myasthenia has as its very source this uh, long-lived plasma cell that resides in the bone marrow that is an aberrant clone that is uh, producing an autoantibody that is going and attacking, in myasthenia's case, the, the neuromuscular junction, the, the junction between, uh, at, at the level of, of the muscle um, and the nerve that allows uh, appropriate communication and muscle function. So these patients often... Uh, get very tired uh, and lose uh, lose overall function of well at first often uh, it the around the eyes uh, have a difficult time keeping their eyelids open but then over time uh, that uh, that disease can often progress into uh, a more generalized form uh, so hence the term generalized myasthenia gravis um, that affects the more the larger muscle groups. And, and it can, at its worst, really affect uh, uh, the overall health and well-being of, uh, uh, of patients with, with this disease. Before the advent of steroid treatments and other immunosuppressant ther- therapies, about a third of patients actually ended up succumbing to their disease, dying from myasthenia. Um, these days, patients are managed and managed relatively effectively um, with these immunosuppressive therapies. Uh, unfortunately, they have to take them for an extended period of time, and these are toxic therapies in their own right. Uh, so there's a great need to develop new therapies in order to, again, try to get to this to the root cause of this disease, the root source of this disease. And in our opinion, our hypothesis is that the, the source of this disease really lies at, uh, at the heart in the in the long-lived plasma cell that is generating these um, these aberrant autoantibodies that are then going and attacking the neuromuscular junction. Well, what is the cell therapy you're developing here, and how does it work? So, Decard eight is a is similar to Decard eleven in that it also targets uh, the B cell maturation antigen that is ubiquitously present, albeit at low levels, and in in, in in the long-lived plasma cells that are producing these autoantibodies. So it stands to reason that if you can uh, target this cell type uh, with an anti-BCMA CAR T therapy, as we're developing here, that, you know, you could change a trajectory of disease and the course of this disease for, this pa- for, this, uh, for these patients. Finally, I'd like to ask you about DECAR-30, your experimental therapy for acute respiratory distress syndrome, potentially deadly condition that can result from pneumonia, sepsis, and, and COVID-19. What is DECAR-30, and, and how does that work? 
Sure. Yeah. So Descartes 30 is our second generation therapy. Uh, so we talked about our first generation therapies where we're engineering, you know, one RNA into our, uh, you know, T cell products in the form of Descartes 11, Descartes 8 uh, for frontline myeloma and for myasthenia. There are second generation program where we're engineering two different um, uh, proteins directly into a cell as represented by Descartes 30. Descartes 30 is um, an off-the-shelf or allogeneic therapy uh, where we're engineering not T-cells um, that are personalized and, and autologous, but rather mesenchymal stem cells that are allogeneic or off-the-shelf. They're derived from a healthy donor instead of from the patient himself or herself. Um, so these MSCs are, uh, in essence, engineered outside the body with a combination of um, uh, RNA therapeutics that work together synergistically to degrade um, a key driver in the pathogenesis of uh, not just acute respiratory distress syndrome, but a whole slew of other diseases, um, including autoimmune diseases and cardiovascular diseases. And, and this key driver is called uh, neutrophil extracellular trap and NET. So think of NETs as in essence, these sticky webs of DNA that are studded with inflammatory proteins that are expulsed by uh, neutrophils as they attempt to control acute inflammation. Uh, the problem is that these nets themselves end up serving as a nexus of inflammation and, uh, and often block alveoli uh, to cause respiratory distress or, uh, or the microvasculature to cause immune thrombi and clots. Uh, so it stands to reason that if you can degrade nets, uh, that you could have a meaningful clinical benefit in, in ARDS and, uh, and some of these other diseases. And so Descartes 30 is our attempt to do that. It's, in essence, engineering these MSCs with these DNAs that are very powerful in degrading nets. Um, and then these uh, this engineered MSC therapy is administered intravenously. Uh, travels and targets to the lung, which is where this disease is happening, ARDS is happening. And uh, there, it's able to deliver its cargo and, 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 and degrade nets. And so that is the hope and expectation. And the, the study, as with our other studies, are currently in early stage clinical trials to test out this hypothesis. As you look at other potential indications, how broadly do you think you can apply this approach? So uh, the approach for uh, delivering uh, an, an anti-net therapy broadly, I think, is uh, to, to other diseases uh, is, can be applied very broadly. In other words, this same type of cell therapy, if it's found to be safe and potentially effective in ARDS, then we can certainly... Uh, potentially apply it for other diseases like autoimmune diseases um, and and other respiratory diseases, per, perhaps in cardiovascular diseases. Um, the overall speaking more, speaking more broadly about your platform technology, are, are are you looking at indications that reach beyond modulating the immune system? Is there a broader potential for programming cells with mRNA? Sure. Yeah. More broadly, the we think that the RNA platform is very versatile and extensible in that, uh, you know, the overarching goal here uh, and overarching vision is to be able to 
um, engineer to use, in essence, the cell as uh, as a very versatile um, uh, factory and vehicle for delivering to virtually any tissue, any combination of therapy. So um, you can envision uh, a combination therapy delivered to uh, cardiovascular diseases, to uh, uh, neuro, neuro to diseases of the uh, of the uh, of the nervous system. You can you can think about its use in even dermatology, uh, and, and I mean the list goes on. And so we certainly believe that uh, this type of platform technology uh, has the potential to be truly revolutionary in delivering combination therapies. You see that the field, I think. Uh, in general, you know, the, the sort of drug development field is, has recognized the importance of combining therapies, right? Because often diseases are very complex and are difficult to treat with just a single agent. Um, the ability to uh, combine your therapies into a single product from the get-go, from the very beginning, from the design, and then use that uh, approach to deliver a very uh, in a very targeted way that combination right to the site of disease we think is is going to be revolutionary. Murat Kalaolu, president and CEO of Cartesian Therapeutics. Murat, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.